Okay, um, you could bring your conversations to a close. I'm sure some of you had more to say than others. Um, but over, over the summer, we're going to be focusing um, on what is called the Apostles' Creed. And um, what's my first slide, Mike? Oh, that one. Oh, no, no, not that one. We believe. Um, and um, the word creed, if you don't know, um, is, it, is, is creed a really nasty video game as well? Assassin's Creed, oh, it's close, isn't it? There you go, there you go. Shows how, how in touch I am. Um, it, it comes, well, the word creed comes from a Latin word, credo, which means I believe and I trust. And, and the Apostles' Creed is basically a short summary of what Christians believe and trust. Now, does anyone know it off by heart? And if you do, will you confess to it? No? The Apostles' Creed, the shortest one, no? Oh, do you know what made my day today? So I've been marrying people for 23 years. And um, in all that time, I always challenge the couple to, to, um, to memorize their vows to each other. Because when I got married to Anna, um, it was yours, <laughs> um, um, when I got married, um, we memorized our vows and we said them to each other. And, and in all the time that I've been marrying people, I've done dozens and dozens, um, no one has ever taken me up on the challenge. But today, I found out that a couple that are getting married here in August are going to memorize their vows. I'm going to hold them to it. Anyway, let's get back to the creed. Um, anyone, anyone know the, the Apostles' Creed off by heart? That, that's part of it, John. Um, in, but maybe slightly in the wrong order, but, um, but that's fine. Uh, but basically, the Apostles' Creed, in the first few centuries of Christianity, actually learning the creed by heart was part and parcel of what it meant to follow Christ. And actually, what you'd find is that before people got baptised, um, they'd learn the creed, so they knew what they believed in. Uh, they'd learn the Lord's Prayer, so they knew how to pray. And um, they learned the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, so they knew how they should live. And, uh, and so actually, knowing the creed was very much part and parcel of what it, what it was to prepare, as it were, to follow Christ. Maybe we don't do things in the same way um, anymore. But basically, the Apostles' Creed, based on the Bible, doesn't replace the Bible, and, and it kind of uh, gives us the essential teachings of those first 12 apostles, uh, apostles, and down the ages across the world in many churches, when the church gathers, they do recite the Apostles' Creed, or they might recite the Nicene Creed, which is slightly longer. That came about um, in AD 325, a whole bunch of bishops met together to work out what exactly the church believed in. And basically, that is an affirmation of faith. Now, uh, I have to say, we, we don't do that at all of our services. We tend to do something. We do one of the creeds at the nine. Occasionally, we do it at the 1040. I don't know whether you do it at small church or Thursday. Oh, you do. Oh, check you out, BB. So they do it at Wednesday church, uh, so it's small church on Wednesday. Uh, and and maybe, maybe it's something we should start doing at the six as well. So, so that we're clearer, maybe, on what we as a local church believe in. Now, I'm going to show a short video uh, from, it comes from National Geographic, that kind of magazine that's been around for, for decades. And they asked people across the world this question, what do you believe in that can't be proven? What do you believe in 
that can't be proven. And um, it's, this, this video has got God in it, otherwise known as, Mo as Morgan Freeman, because he did play God, didn't he? Okay, um, you may, I hope, hopefully you can see the subtitles. Uh, what does the church uh, believe in? Well, we can start by a good place to start is by looking at the Apostles' Creed. And uh, if this is what you believe, just say this with me. If you don't believe it, then, then don't say it. Um, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So that, that is the Apostles' Creed. Now, some people get a bit jumpy, particularly in the Protestant Church, uh, when we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, but we're going to get to that. It's not the Roman Catholic Church, though we do believe in the Roman Catholic Church, but it, the Catholic Church means universal. It's much bigger uh, than just one denomination. But tonight, what we're going to be doing is focusing on these opening words. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I just want to look at that, really, in three different sections. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And, and this is where faith, Christian faith starts. Now, someone on that video said that they believed in themselves, that they believed in themselves in enough uh, to get them through life uh, probably in a good way. And actually, believe in yourself, it's not a bad thing. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure what we mean when we say, I believe in myself. You know, I believe in myself, but if I'm honest with you, I don't trust myself to make a good job of life and love and to live well. You know, if I'm left to my own devices, I don't necessarily make a good job of it. So I can say I believe in myself, but I don't think that then qualifies me to live and to love well. You may well think differently. I would say that I need all the help that I can get. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah once said this, the human heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. And uh, he, he wasn't the most joyful of prophets, but basically uh, he's making the point that we are complicated, that actually each and every one of us, I would say, is a mixture of light and dark and shade. And I know enough about myself that if I'm left to my own devices, I mess up. I sin, uh, I become broken, I have selfish desires. All of that starts in my heart, as, as Jeremiah spoke about, the human heart can be hopelessly uh, dark and deceitful. You know, I'm not all bad, but I'm not all good. And, and I know that to live and love well, I need help beyond myself. Now, you might say, well, actually, no, I've got everything I need within myself. Um, I would disagree when it comes to my own life. I need something beyond myself. And I think the Apostles' Creed points us to what or who we need by saying, I believe 
in God. You know, it's a statement of faith. You know, I start my life by believing and trusting in God. The spiritual writer Evelyn Underhill wrote this. She said, we make the first and greatest of our mistakes in religion when we begin with ourselves. Our petty feelings and needs, our ideas and capacities. This creed, she says, sweeps us up past all this to God, the objective fact and his mysterious self-giving to us. We make the first and greatest mistake in religion when we begin with ourselves. And, And I would say that actually even in the Christian church, there is a danger that we start faith with ourselves and not with God. But the Apostles' Creed is fairly clear. It starts by saying, I believe in God. And it sweeps us past ourselves and the chaos and confusion that we at times can live with. And it brings us primarily to God. And and I would say that making this statement, I believe in God, particularly in the Western world, is almost like an act of defiance. Because um, my observation is, is that particularly in the Western world, is that we are a long way and hostile from the God who has revealed himself to us through the scriptures, through creation, and most importantly, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, The writer of of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 said this, he said, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. In other words, the sun, the Lord Jesus Christ, reveals to us what God is like. In that passage that Anna read to us, uh, Paul makes that very clear statement in, in chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the sun is the image of the invisible God. And so basically, if we want to know what this God is like that we believe in, we can start by looking at the sun. And, and the sun, who represents to us God, is the God that this creed begins with. And, and the next two statements in the creed then reveal to us more about who this God is and what he is like. Uh, Firstly, it says this. He says, I believe in God, so huge statement, the Father Almighty. Um, God is the Father Almighty. And then it goes on and says he is the creator of heaven and earth. Let's just spend some time looking at that statement first, though, that God is the Father Almighty. The Father Almighty. There's a lot of aspects or perspectives, I think, that we can look at uh, to give us a sense of what this God is like, what the God, what the Father Almighty is like. You know, there's all kinds of pictures and stories and metaphors and testimonies that help us to understand what God, the Father Almighty, is like. I've not got time to go through all of those, but I just want to pick out two. One is from the Old Testament, and the other actually is based on uh, a modern film that, that came out just a few years ago. Um, the first thing, though, is that is that the Father Almighty is described in the Old Testament, and we get some kind of sense of what this Father is like. If you know anything about the Old Testament prophet Hosea, you know that he lived in a time when the people of God were generally disobedient and rebellious. But, but Hosea, this prophet, in the midst of that rebellion and that unfaithfulness, paints a picture using words that then give us a sense of what God the Father Almighty is like. Uh, in Hosea chapter 11, um, uh, Hosea says this. Oh, just let me just step back a bit, actually. Did, 
Anyone, anyone know anything about Hosea's wife? Yeah. What? Anything, Nigel? She wasn't very faithful. Okay, that's one way of putting it. Basically, she was a prostitute. Um, and so what happened was, at the beginning of Hosea, I, it's, sometimes the Old Testament is just like, what is going on here? But basically, God says to the prophet Hosea, I want you to marry Gomer, who is unfaithful. And, and basically, his whole marriage, um, in some ways, symbolized the relationship between God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, and God's people, the people of Israel. And basically, Hosea was like God, and his wife was like the people. And, and his whole life, in some, way, some ways, kind of indicated that God was faithful and his people were not. But in the midst of all of that, God still continued to remain faithful to them. That's, go, go and read the book of Hosea when you get home tonight. It's a lot of fun. Okay, but in Hosea chapter 11, it says this. It says, it, this is, so basically, this is God speaking through Hosea the prophet. It was I who taught Ephraim, part of the people of God, to walk. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness and with ties of love. Um, to them, I was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. And, and this picture um, that Hosea paints in, in chapter 11 is the picture of a parental figure. I mean, actually, it could be a mo- more likely a mother, actually, than a father, but that sense of a parent, and it indicates, I think, just from that short text, gentleness and patience and kindness and, and affection and provision and healing. And so when we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, pictures like this we find in Hosea indicate, show to us the kind of God that we believe in, the kind of God that Hosea speaks about, who is gentle and kind and provides and heals and and bends down and lifts a child and feeds them. So that gives us some idea of what God the Father Almighty is like. Okay, let's gonna, we're just going to watch a trailer of a film. And uh, who's seen About Time? It's been out for ages. Okay, let's, we just watched a trailer about this. But let, let, me, let me tell you a bit about it. Basically, it's this romantic comedy by Richard Curtis, who made, as it said, Notting Hill, Love Actually. He always seems to make London look incredibly romantic and pleasant, um, which, let's be honest, it isn't. Um, and... Uh, and but this is a plot spoiler. But basically, there's a... So shut your ears if you don't want to hear. I could tell you the, the results of the tennis as well. No, no, don't do that. Okay. Uh, but basically, there's this relationship between his father and his son, Bill Nye, and Donald Gleeson, who's uh, kind of a ginger um, Hugh Grant. Anyway, in, in, this, in this scenario, basically, a male family me- member can travel in time, but only to the past, but not to the time before you were born. Okay, bear with me in this. And... Um, If you travel back in time before your baby is born, then it will cause a different child to be born and the original child will be lost. That is one of the complexities of time travel. The father father gets cancer and he's going to die. The son knows about this, but because the father delights in the son and they have this lovely relationship and the son delights in the father, they both keep traveling back in time to enjoy one another's company. And uh, basically, the son, to be there for the father, they play table tennis, 
They hang out together um, in the father's study. He reads Dickens uh, to his son. And this being with one another happens time and time and time again because they can keep revisiting the same time and place. But it has to end eventually because the son's wife, get this, wants another child. And if the son keeps going back to the father to see him before he dies, after the ch- and that's done after the child is born, then every time he goes back to see the father, there will be a different child. Do you get that? Complicated, isn't it? So eventually he has to say goodbye to his father. What struck me, though, about this film was that relationship between the father and the son. And they just kind of delighted in one another. It's actually quite a beautiful thing to see. You know, the father delights in the son and the son delights in the father. And I think that that gives to us some idea of what the father almighty is like. And so the father almighty that we say we believe and trust in, I think is like that parent described in Hosea. I think that father is like Bill Nye in that film about time. And there are so many images and and words that describe to us what God the Father Almighty is like. And uh, I think we start with Jesus to give us a sense. We search the scriptures, we reflect on creation, and we can see, I think, the Father's heart in art and music and film and story. And so what we've looked at is, I believe in God, the Father, what's the next one on there, Mike? Uh, I believe in God, the Father, huh? Oh, you yeah, will keep hold on that one. Uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So now we get to this one, the third one, creator of heaven and earth. And, and this here, when we declare this, this is a statement of belief all about origins. In other words, where we came from. And there's all kinds of ideas about how the world and the cosmos, the universe, how that came to be. In, in the first century, there were a number of different beliefs about how life began. And some of you know far more about this than I do. Aristotle believed that the universe was eternal, no beginning and no end. The Stoics, and, and actually modern Stoicism is kind of, or Stoicism is making a bit of a comeback actually, but Stoics believed that fire was the basic element out of which all things were made and that reason, or logos, brought order to a chaotic world. The Epicureans believe that everything that exists is made up of atoms uh, that make up our bodies and and that basically they disperse when we die. And, And they also believe that the gods weren't very interested in humanity. Platonists believe that the world is the product of an eternal mind... And Homer Simpson believes that he is the missing link and that as an ape, he started everything. So you can see there's all kinds of ideas, aren't there? Um, We'll just go with the last one. There's all kinds of stories and, and theories about origins, about how the world began and how it keeps going. But the Apostles' Creed says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Okay, we're going to watch another video now um, with um, David Attenborough. Attenborough, who's done a lot of stuff, um, would say is an agnostic. He says, you know, why can't you just say there must have been a designer, there must be a God? That's the question he's asked. But interestingly, he said, I, I wouldn't say that God doesn't exist. 
but interesting that his quarrel is with literal interpretation of text, particularly around Genesis. Um, and I, I'd also have a quarrel as well about the literal interpretation of some biblical text because it's a whole series of genres. And, uh, and I'm not a creationist. I'm, and I would say that if, if it's a literal interpretation, which creation story do you want? The one in Genesis 1 or 2, you can't have them both. Anyway, that's not what this sermon is about. But, but he then talks about a termite hill, and these termites being busy and blind. I didn't know termites were blind, did you? And, uh, and he said, is he lacking a sense organ? Maybe he doesn't appreciate that there is someone outside looking in. I thought it was a fascinating interview. But the Apostles' Creed contends that the God we believe in is the creator of heaven and earth. It, it doesn't say how this world was created. I think science points to that. But it does say who and why, I would say, that actually created by God, the Father Almighty. That text from um, Colossians 1, verse 16, said this. Um, For in him, the Son, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so um, it's fairly clear um, within that that actually um, that God, Father, Son, and Spirit, created all things. First there was God, uh, and then out of nothing, the Latin is ex nihilo, God creates. But he not only creates, but he also sustains. In him, all things hold together. He's a creator of heaven and earth. Let me finish, uh, if I may, uh, just by talking about, I just want, wonder, Mike, is, why is nothing happening? Just click me on to, um, just click up a text for me. Okay, next one. Yeah, keep going. No, keep going. Okay, I've got it now, I've got it. We've done that, done that, done that. Oh, that's nice. That's coffee here, <laughs> Trinity. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator. Let, let me talk now about, um, and we're going to do this very quickly, the secular age, the imminent framework and transcendence. Um, I, I talked about this um, a few weeks ago, actually, in the, the morning service when we were looking at the book of Ruth and uh, talked about uh, a book that I'm reading at the moment, which is called Churches and the Crisis of Decline. And, and basically, in, in, this, in this, um, this book, talking about the Western church, the author proposes that in Western society, we live in what's called a secular age. And uh, we have what's called a fully imminent framework. And what he means by that is that God isn't absent, but God is relegated to just being an idea. God is a good concept but nothing more and that God in this secular age this imminent framework God holds interest for some but actually is on the margins of our society that God is pretty much benign inactive there's not much that this God does and and basically what he argues is that in this imminent framework we forget the transcendence of God we forget the power and the intervention of God. We forget about the mystery of God. We forget that God is God and that we are not. 
And, and what he says is that in this imminent framework of this prevailing culture, a church actually can do all kinds of outward activity, but they can do it without the action and intervention of God. There is a sense that we pay lip service to the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And he says we need a greater vision of the Most High God. Let me just uh, quote this um, about how this might sit, show itself in our, in our society. He says, we see this imminent framework in operation within social media controversies around thoughts and prayers. When a tragedy hits, particularly around another mass shooting in America, some people tweet, my thoughts and prayers go out to those families. And others respond, to hell with your thoughts and prayers. We don't need thoughts and prayers. Prayers don't stop bullets. Those who tweet thoughts and prayers actually mostly agree that the God we pray to doesn't act. God can be conceived of as an idea that gives comfort when we can't understand a negative situation. In an imminent framework, God doesn't stop bullets. But when we live with a sense of God's transcendence, that he is in fact the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, I would argue that it changes everything because it means that we believe that God is acting, that God is speaking, that God is healing, that God is at work, which we sung about earlier, that God is creating and God is sustaining. And, and the church is the community that basically encounters and then proclaims that God is in the world and that God is at work. So that's the secular age, the imminent framework and transcendence. And, and I think that that revelation, and it is revelation that we have, that God is at work in our lives and in our world, that God is speaking and acting and healing and creating, I think it starts with us declaring what we believe in the Apostles' Creed, that we believe and trust in the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So... At the beginning, I said, turn to someone next to you, say what you believe in. What do you believe and trust in? For me, I would say, and this is, I hope this is quite comforting given that I'm a vicar in the Church of England, though <laughs> I'd imagine there's plenty of vicars in the Church of England that don't believe this. I believe and trust in God because I need him to love and to live well. I believe and trust in the Father Almighty who leads me, as Hosea says, with cords of love and bends down to feed me. I believe and trust in God, the creator of heaven and earth, who is both imminent, he's present, but he's also transcendent, he's mysterious, he's powerful, he's active, he's sustaining. I believe in a God who can stop bullets. And I believe that he is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Shall we stand? So, Father, as we uh, take a look at this creedal statement over these coming weeks, and we're reminded of what the church has believed over the centuries and across the world, may it lift our eyes to heaven. May it lift our eyes beyond ourselves onto you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And may this belief that we have in you change us and in doing so change the world in which we inhabit. 
And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.